Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us. Thank you for gathering us, your children, always in need of your care and your help, always in need of your encouragement. Yes, we are seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, and you've been teaching us more about that day by day and what it means, the, uh, the full benefit of it as we, by faith, rest in the joy and peace that we have granted to us through our Lord and what he has sacrificed for us. Thank you for raising him gloriously from the dead. Thank you that we have opportunity to be lights in the darkness. What a privilege it is. Thank you that though the enemies are many and are spiritual as well as here in this world, Father, thank you that the word of truth is powerful and may be used as a protection and also as a spiritual weapon of warfare against the evil forces that seek to destroy the knowledge of you, Heavenly Father, and of your Son, our precious Savior. And if they can, they will destroy us, as they have so many before. So, Father, we're so thankful that you've uh, given us this means to join together here in this Bible study each week. Father, we're thankful that you've been with us all week. There are many things that uh, we know of that you worked out on our behalf, and uh, much thanksgiving has already gone out, Father, and we're certainly thankful for those they should be protected from because not all are standing for the fullness of your grace, even in Christian colleges, Father. So we pray that they would be lights uh, there as well. And in their work, I'm sure each of them are involved in a number of things. So please uh, watch over them, protect them also from the evils of this virus that's so uh, rampant these days again. We pray for Father, we pray for those that are suffering greatly and need deliverance from these illnesses. And Father, there's so many other things on our minds, all those left behind in Afghanistan, all those isolated in other parts of the world, Father, who nevertheless are a witness for you. Oh, Father, there are so many, and we ourselves greatly in need of your help and your grace each day and each hour. So, Father, I pray that we would redeem the time well, for otherwise the days are truly evil. So, Father, thank you as we open your word now. May it be a blessing to us greatly. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, well, last time we finished up Paul's letter to the Colossians. Remember the reason for going to the prison epistles of Ephesians and Colossians was to see how Christ had taught Paul and then how Paul was enabled to teach others concerning the unlimited grace poured out through the Lord Jesus. Uh, after Acts 28:28, 28, 28, Paul is free to go to the Gentiles, and he no longer goes forth 
to the Jews as Jews. So all that happened during the transition period where Paul was first going to the Jews and going into Jewish synagogues and and always then uh, <clears throat> ministering even to Gentiles in, in the context really of their witness to Israel that continued to be a reality. So there were many things that were they're different uh, during that period of time from after Acts 28, not only in ministry, but in message. And so when Paul gets to prison there in Rome, he is enabled then to write letters to the Ephesian church, to the Colossian church, uh, and also the Philippian church. We didn't look at that recently, but we did before, right? Also writes a letter to Philemon. All these are written from Rome while Paul is in prison. And after uh, Acts 28, there has been accomplished, which is where Paul sets aside Israel finally, even in the dispersion of Jews that have gone here and there to far places. So even in Rome, the Jews refused to accept the message of their Messiah, who is Jesus Christ, of course, raised from the dead. So we looked at Colossians, and I'm going to say very little about it today because there's much else to focus in on here as we return to the book of Acts today. Also next week, Next week and possibly the following, although next week I hope to, hope to finish the book of Acts completely. We'll see if the Lord blesses in that way. Okay, so just a quick reminder, when Paul finishes up there in Colossians chapter 3 and 4, remember how he writes about the marriage relationship and how grace enables husbands to love their wives properly and wives to respect their husbands correctly. And what a blessing it is in marriage when we have grace operating. And uh, we all here can give some testimonies regarding this. So there's never an end to glorious blessing if grace is operating fully in a marriage. And Paul sets that forth as, as a goal, right? It, it, it's something to strive for in our marriages. And, and then he goes on beyond that, and he, he talks about marriage, not only marriage, but also other relationships amongst believers within the church. And he highlights it all by that treatment there concerning slavery, slaves and slave owners, and how the grace of Christ can even transform those relationships. And I think you remember her lesson well there, probably. And previously in Ephesians, where he writes even more about it than he does in Colossians. But, but one difference is in Colossians, he mentions a person well-known in the Colossian church, and that person was previously a runaway slave named Decimus. And uh, 
what a wonderful thing, that he's no longer a runaway slave. <laughs> for he is a Christian brother. Serving in the household, perhaps, or maybe he's gone independently. It seems to me he's now independent out of the household of uh, Philemon. How do we know that? Because there's a church in his house. <laughs> Paul writes about that as well, a church in Onesimus's house, hmm, house church. So apparently Onesimus has been set free by his master Philemon, and he now has an independent household. So these things are really very interesting, to say the least. We could spend a lot more time just focusing in on all of that. But you remember how we ended, which was that uh, the exhortation was, he says in Colossians 4, verses 4 and 5, he says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. And I think the, the point there is that if grace is abundantly working in our lives, we're certainly going to live a different kind of life than others in the world, there may even be those that would like to know us because of our testimony. And perhaps those are the very ones the Lord is drawing, right? And so uh, all of us perhaps have some experience in that regard, right? Certainly grace makes the difference in life. So praise God for that. And uh, let's proceed now boldly into again, um, the book of Acts. The reason why we went astray from it was that I wanted you to see clearly how the fullness of the grace teaching comes forth in those prison letters, right? But when you go back into Acts, you see Paul's very bold, and he's preaching and teaching boldly, but he's not giving these high doctrines, this high teaching concerning grace there. He nearly never does. Every once in a while, he starts to go in that direction. Like, for example, when he's meeting with the Ephesian elders as he's getting ready to, to depart for Jerusalem, right? And uh, when he meets with the Ephesian elders there, he speaks to them very intimately about the work of Christ and how they're responsible in that ministry there in Ephesus, right? And, but what he says is that there are far, false teachers even in the midst who will raise up, who will conflict and teach contrary to the Pauline doctrine of grace, right? I'll just read a couple of verses there. This is from Acts chapter 20. It's been said even by, it says, prophets that when he gets to Jerusalem, there'll be great afflictions and bondage for him, right? But nevertheless, he's going to Jerusalem. It says, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. This is Acts 20, 24. So that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, 
I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I'm pure from the blood of all men. For I've not shunned to declare unto you the counsel, all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And so he goes forth. Uh, they're all in tears as he finally says to them, Brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. In the book of Acts, in the latter part there, that's the strongest statement concerning the abundance of grace that Paul uh, spoke forth. And here it's recorded by Luke here in Acts chapter 20. But that's where he's speaking to the elders of the Ephesian church, right? Those are believers who've already been taught for three years, right? But the doctrine being taught in these last chapters of the book of Acts is quite different and very limited to what we're going to see today as we open up uh, chapter 21 and especially 22 of the sacred history given to us there in the book of the Acts. Okay, so there's a big difference in uh, the teaching, the teaching of the Apostle Paul in those latter chapters. Why is there the difference? The answer is, he's not, first of all, he's not speaking to believers, he's speaking to unbelievers. Secondly, they're mostly Jews, until finally the Romans are involved, but even then, uh, the Jews are present, because remember, the Jews are seeking Paul's life. They want him to be executed because of idolatries and so forth and heresies against uh, Moses and uh, the teaching of the law, right? That's what the Jews in the Holy Land are looking for. They're aggressively seeking Paul's death. And the Romans are trying to keep the peace. And so Paul's message, as he defends himself in the various courts and so forth, uh, his message is very much focused on what the Jews must believe, for otherwise they cannot be saved. And what must they believe about their own Messiah? Well, let's find out. Acts chapter 21. Um, so to begin with, I'd like Linda to read for us. Um <coughs> uh, we're not going to look at Acts 21, except for me to just simply say, Paul goes to Jerusalem. <laughs> he is received by James and the apostles, and he shares with them how many Gentiles have come to the Lord in his, in his uh, missionary journeys, right? And, uh, and what's James' response? It is that many Jews are holding to Moses' law, Paul, and you need to take that into account. Well, that's sort of missing the point, to say the least. <laughs> and so many Jews are uh, 
the enemies of Paul, and he's speaking of those there in the Holy Land, right? Who are now uh, raising up an insurrection even against the Romans, sufficient that they can capture Paul and execute him. Uh, they don't have the right to execute, but they can uh, encourage the Romans to do so, and that's the intention, I guess. Or are they going to take the law into their own hands, right? And so James says, and this is recorded um, there in uh, Acts 21, verse 21. They are informed, okay, verse 20, and when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. Okay, so that sort of summarizes what was happening there. Uh, in Jerusalem and in Judea and uh, even in other countries where there were many Jews jealous of the law. James even thinks they're believers. That's interesting. So, Linda, would you uh, begin there with just that one verse, verse 40 in chapter 21 and then verses 1 through 5 in chapter 22? Linda? And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence, and he saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tardis, a city in yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous towards God, as ye, as ye all are this day. So I persuaded this way unto death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. As also the high priest does bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were bound onto Jerusalem for to be punished. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Now, my goal here in going through these verses today, it isn't so much to see the sacred history. Yes, it is, but there's a greater purpose in reading the, the sacred history here. And that's to understand what is happening. Paul is testifying. Now, if you just get above the words a little bit, go into the words, yes, and then get a little bit above them, beyond them, to see the whole context here, it's absolutely incredible how bold the Apostle Paul is here. Who is he speaking to? Well, who has been held him, held him up as a great uh, religious criminal, right, worthy of death, right? It is the high priest. <laughs> it is those who are with him. It is the elders of Israel. And they're the very ones here to whom he's speaking, right? Now, their fathers, some years before, a few decades before, were the very ones 
that Paul was working together with back then, okay? So what Paul is doing here is to review, well, he reviews his own history. He's review, reviewing before his enemies' eyes and in their ears their own history, okay? That's pre pre pretty shocking. It's incredibly bold uh, by Paul to speak to them this way, isn't it? And even more so when you see what else he <laughs> will say. Now he's speaking, it says, in Hebrew to them. So apparently Luke is translated into L Greek because we have the Greek here. Or maybe Paul spoke in Hebrew to them and then translated into Greek for there were Romans present too, you see. Okay. So Paul says here, what does he say? Let's see. Specifically, he says, I myself am a Jew and the son of Jews, etc., 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 right? Many generations, right? In another place, he says he's a, he was a Pharisee, okay? He doesn't say that right here, but he will later uh, in chapter 26, okay? He also says how he was raised up in, in a godly environment that was very much living in league with Moses' law. That was the whole point of it, right? Okay, they were uh, under Moses' law and very, very uh, uh, much focused upon that way of life, he says. Okay, not only that, when he was old enough, he goes to school. Where does he go to school? <laughs> he goes <clears throat> to Jerusalem to school. <laughs> And who does he study under? Gamaliel, the greatest teacher of his day. Well, who do you think the teacher was for some of these in his audience there that day? It would have been Gamaliel, no doubt, as well, right? <clears throat> Probably the high priest and others were also students of Gamaliel. Okay, so Paul, <clears throat> excuse me, was a student of Gamaliel. And so now we're several decades later, <laughs> but even back then, Saul was like first in line. He was probably Gamaliel's greatest or one of his greatest students and was in line himself <clears throat> when he got older to be the one who took Gamaliel's place. At least that's uh, very, very straightforward to consider, right? So Paul is now writing about how he was with all of them or with their fathers in that day. But something happened to change his life forever. What happened? Well, let's find out. In Acts chapter 22, I'd like Gail to read verses 6 through 10, please. Gail? And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground, heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, rise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee 
of all things which are appointed for thee to do. Thank you, Gail. So is this something that these Jews want to hear? <laughs> no. These Jews, this is not James and the apostles who believe in a risen Christ, right? Who've seen him face to face. These are Paul's enemies. These are the ones that want him to be killed, right? By the Romans. And so this is his opportunity to defend himself before them. Oh, my. They don't want to hear this, that uh, this Jesus of Nazareth, whom they also are the enemies of, um, is gloriously raised from the dead. The last thing they want to hear, right? And so Paul is saying here, this one is alive. And not only that, he's in heaven and he has now intersected with my life and changed it forever. And that's why I'm here. I'm persecuted because of this. And I'm here to tell all of you that he really is alive and that in fact he is your messiah right what could be bolder than this it's called the defense in the english translation but uh, the greek word is apologia that just means a dialogue okay he's giving a dialogue he's stating the truth this is the truth as it is it's his testimony right and it's simple he even includes the very words of the Lord Jesus, right? The very, very words. And what does the Lord say to Paul when he meets him on the road to Damascus? Well, he says words that nobody else hears. All they hear is noise and sound and see the light, right? Only Paul is hearing the words. He's also blinded by the light for a time, but he does hear the words. And what are the words? Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Boy, there's a lot in that. Huh? You can only imagine what, what Saul is concluding hearing those words. Persecuting you? Uh, hmm, uh, uh, yes, I was involved in Stephen's death, but what, how did that relate to you? Uh-oh, I think now I'm in real trouble. <laughs> okay. And so... Uh, he says, who are you, Lord? <laughs> he's still, he's in the light, but he's a little bit in the dark. And the Lord says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. Hard for me to say these words, too. Persecutest. Okay, so what else? The Lord said to him, arise and go into Damascus. And there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. So what the Lord is doing, he's not having a long-term educational uh, session with Paul, hoping maybe Paul, Saul really still called at that time. Maybe he will agree to, to do things differently in the future. No, this he's saying... Saul, I'm taking you and sending you somewhere else, and you're going to walk a different path than you've ever walked before. Saul doesn't have any power over this. The Lord is overwhelming his will and controlling it, right? All he can do is bow and worship and call the risen Christ Lord, right? 
And so he does. Well, the story continues here. What happens next? Uh, well, he does go to Damascus and the Lord sends forth uh, one to give him instruction, further instruction on what his life will now be life as a servant of the risen Christ, right? What will his life be like? Um, Lisa, would you read for us verses 11 through 15? And when I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight, and the same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, and that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. Okay, very, very good. Thank you, Lisa. So, Paul is blinded by the great light of the risen Christ, but then healed of that blindness in due time, and sent forth Ananiases, he has been sent forth by Christ to be a witness to all of what he had seen and heard. So what's the focus on? Is it salvation by grace through faith? Well, no, that's not the focus of this. The focus of this is on the reality of the risen Christ. How much did Paul understand right then about the full dimensions of our salvation through the finished work of Christ. We don't know because it doesn't tell us anything about it. Okay? It just says, you're going to be sent forth, Saul. Now you're walking a new path, and you're going to be a witness. You're going to be a witness to me of myself. Yes, I did die. Yes, I was buried and now gloriously raised. And you're going to be sent forth, and notice that he does say to him, a witness to all, okay, to all of all that he had seen and heard. Okay, well, later, the risen Christ teaches Paul on numerous occasions. Paul does write about that uh, later, and we'll read about that next time we gather together here, Lord willing. And so Paul had much more to learn from the risen and ascended Christ about the full dimensions of grace and the completed salvation, which he then taught to whom? To the Gentiles, right? As he went boldly forth there. But when he's speaking to Jews, especially unsaved Jews, he limits himself to the resurrected Christ and how Christ transformed his life on that day. Okay, let's read more about that. Um, what happens next in Paul's life after that point? Uh, we can read about that. Patty, you can read about that for us uh, in Acts 22, verses 16 through 21. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise, and be baptized, and wash away thy sins 
calling on the name of the Lord. And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And saw him saying unto me, Make haste, and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. Then I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Okay. So, again, it's just amazing to me that Paul speaks to them this way because (laughs) these are the very Jews that at least their ancestors, probably some of these here as well, right, are elderly and uh, were there at the time, right? And so what Saul understood was that these Jews would not accept the truth of their risen Messiah, right? They would not. And therefore he had to depart quickly to the Gentiles because they would seek his life. And they surely did, right? Well, Paul shares here also something else. He says, I'm unworthy, Lord. <laughs> that's that's uh, the context. He says, I'm unworthy, Lord. I mean, I can't, I can't now uh, go and preach <laughs> the risen Christ. I mean, because everybody knows that I, it's gotten around, even outside Israel, it's gotten around that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue then that believed on thee. <laughs> and when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. Apparently that was uh, something that the chief accuser uh, would do. Uh, he would... Uh, take the clothing so it wouldn't be stained and wouldn't be defiled, right, Uh, as uh, the others uh, actually uh, took the life of the one that's being martyred, right? So Saul was in the very center of it. So how can he now go forth and preach the risen ascended Christ? Who's going to believe him, he says? Well, what does Christ say to him in this vision? He says, He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't try to convince him of anything. He just says, depart. I'm sending you far hence to the Gentiles. Goodbye, Paul. And away he goes, right? Okay, so nothing could be more potentially offensive to those Jews who are gathered there to accuse Paul with the German, with the Romans trying to keep the peace, right, in Jerusalem. Nothing could be more offensive to them, and yet that's how Paul speaks. What do you think the consequence of that would be? Well, I'll tell you. Verse number 22. They gave him audience unto this word and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. 
And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the Romans keep the peace and protect. Paul, they secret him away then into a special place. <laughs> but they're even wondering whether maybe the accusation of the Jews is true, because how could they be so violently opposed to this one who was just like them, right? <laughs> With the same background, the same training and everything else, right? How could they be so violently opposed unless he was truly an evil man? And so this Roman here, I think he's just a military leader, an Egyptian that was a famous rebel at the time, right? So what does Paul do? He says, I'm a Roman citizen. I will not allow these Jews to bring accusation against me. I'm a Roman citizen. Therefore, I deserve to be treated as such. And so these Roman rulers uh, treat them quite differently than they would have otherwise. Well, that brings us to the end of Paul's testimony here. It's an amazing testimony. It's mostly a testimony to Jews, mostly to those uh, that um, had descended probably from those that knew Saul well. Remember, Saul was of their group. They knew him well, right? And what he's explaining here is what had happened to his life. Remember, Paul's been away for some great number of years. He's been carrying out his first missionary journey, his second missionary journey, his third missionary journey, and now he has returned and uh, facing still the same kind of opposition there. Another thing you could notice is that even though he did visit with James and the others, uh, Jerusalem seems to be given over to uh, these uh, certainly anti-Christ <laughs> Jews who would do anything they could to suppress the truth about the risen Savior, right? They seem to be very, very much in control. In fact, the whole city's turned upside down with their rebellious, uh, even insurrection uh, of sorts, right? Hoping to uh, eliminate Paul once and for all, right? So that's what we see here. Paul's testimony before them is very much focused on how the risen Christ had changed his life and set him off on a different course altogether. Why is that the focus? Because the Jew must, to be saved, accept Jesus as his Messiah. There's no alternative. And so when Paul goes into the synagogues, as he had before, uh, this so many times, that was his message as well. So that's where we are here today. I hope that you've been able to, with me to get sort of behind some of the words and verses and into what's really happening there and to understand the full magnitude of Paul's testimony there before his own countrymen, for sure, and those who should have, if only the blindness hadn't been on their hearts, said, praise God and amen, Christ 
is risen. <laughs> and then they would have rejoiced together with Paul, right? Praise God. Well, Paul will be kept in bonds. He will be kept in chains by the Romans going from place to place, from one cell to another for some considerable time, even for years, before finally he's sent forth to Rome to stand before the emperor. But that's where he will eventually be sent, and we'll learn more about that. Lord willing, next time as we see how Paul in his second greatest defense in chapter 26 recorded for us, uh, his second greatest defense is most wonderful indeed and in a certain way even more amazing than what we uh, just read here today. Praise God for Paul's boldness. Uh, there's no trying to build a real uh, bridge to these unbelievers here. I mean, he's saying that which would offend them greatly, and yet it is the truth that they needed to hear, and that's the way it is with all of our testimonies. We want to speak the truth, but to speak it with love, but let's not let uh, the love overwhelm us so that the truth does not come forth. Let's be bold for him and praise God for his wonderful truth of grace. We live in a dark world. It's not any lighter than what we read of here today, as it was in Jerusalem on that day. Okay, off from me. Any comments before we close today and close in prayer? Hi, Jen. Thank you for the, the message. It's just wonderful. And I have a quick comment here, you know, you know, again, you know, every time you read the passages, then you always, you know, get the, the new meanings or inspire you to, you know, dig a little deeper. In this case, you know, I actually went back to Acts 13. Yes. And they said, this, you know, uh, 13, 9, they said the South, who uh, also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost. And so I was just thinking about this. It's fascinating how uh, Luke penned the, the message in such a sequence. Why Paul all of a sudden being introduced, this name being introduced at this point. Even though you look at the context, uh, immediately following as 13.9, Paul's audience were still Jews. Yes. And I... Found that fascinating. He could have just used the name Saul because if you look at the difference between Paul and Saul, Saul is Hebrew name. Paul is just a Greek version of the Hebrew name. And of course, you know we can look at the meaning as a Paul means a small, Saul means desirable. You know, referring to king. But still, you know, when his audience was Jew, he could have still used the name Saul. And yet, Luke start calling. Paul, uh, Saul, Paul in this case. And I I suspect there could be an element that from this point on, Paul's audience, even though he was directly addressing to Jews, but there were Greek and Gentile audience in the mix. Yes. So that would be appropriate to start using Paul because now there are audience as a Gentile. 
And this can be further supported by, if you go down to verse 46, he was talking about, uh, we turn to Gentiles because Jews just refuse to listen. So you don't make the hard switch from Jews to Gentile. Obviously, you know, Gentile was in the mix as an audience when he preached to the Jews. So in this case, you know, you have a couple of evidence. First thing is now he has a great thing addressing to the Gentile. The second of all, you know, Gentile willing to listen. So that's why he can make such a switch from the Jews to Gentile. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that out. Uh, I mean, I find myself, as you notice today, sometimes calling him Paul, sometimes calling him Saul. Um, but um, right, uh, increasingly, I'm sure he came to be known as Paul because it was to the Greeks that he went ultimately, right? And also because God was setting aside Israel one step at a time there in Acts 13, 14, 17, uh, 18, 22, and so forth, right? Uh, setting aside Israel. And what we saw today, in effect, was that he was setting aside uh, Jerusalem. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> no more ministry there. He's going forth, right? He's been sent forth. Uh They'll leave uh, step by step. Finally, will be sent by the Romans to Rome. But uh, yes, uh, the leaders of Israel were in rebellion. They were not in faith. And uh, Israel had been decreasing uh, after that initial rising there in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and so forth. And then at Stephen's martyrdom, uh, beginning their rapid descent. So we wonder about the 12 apostles and what they were doing in those days, since it seemed that the ministry was uh, diminishing. Anyway, very good comments, uh, Lewis. Any other comments, anyone? Uh, sorry, man, I made another comment. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so oftentimes we're talking about the will of God. So we're praying, you know, hoping that somehow God will speak, you know, in voice to us. Yes. So, we, you know, this is very common in the uh, modern, you know, evangelical Christians. So, but if we read a chap, you know, book of Acts, and we'll get a new revelation there, you know, because it is not the first time Holy Spirit will cry, which, you know, Christ told Paul to not to go to Jerusalem, or do things like that. But yet, Paul did not hearken to God's, you know, instruction directly. So because of that, he suffered. But in spite of that, in his suffering, God was still using his disobedience and bear the fruit for the propagation of the gospel. So this loop back to my original comment, you know, so evangelical Christians like to, you know, pray that God will point in direction. But the matter of fact is God will not directly tell you today. And even though Paul was disobedient to some degree, but God was still, you know, able to, you know, bless him and uh, use him as a vehicle to propagate the you know, gospel. So, again, you know, I feel that important thing is we need to have conviction. You know, what's the right thing to do? You know, 
no matter what decision we make, you know, as long as we are sincere, I think God will bless, you know, any path, you know, we march down. Well, I think you overstated it, but I know you, I know the point you're making. Um, well, Paul even greatly failed on occasion, like to go across the uh, the river <laughs> there, you know, <clears throat> into Macedonia, and he, <laughs> he was given strong strong uh, instruction regarding it. And he he later he comments on how that was the case, and oh, he was. Uh, holding back because he he wanted uh, someone to be with him. But then he adds, well, but God does lead us in triumph nevertheless, right? So absolutely, God uses sinners. Uh, They're not uh, perfectly instructed. We don't even really know, he says, how to pray, right? Uh, So yes, indeed. So I take your point. Well, Louis, thanks for sharing with us today. Are there any other comments before we close in prayer today? I do, Jim. It's, it's Lisa. Yes, uh, Lisa. Uh, we covered the um, the verse in Acts 20, verse 28, and I have a question about the church of God, and I need to understand a little bit more about what that means. Um, it says at the end of the verse, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. But Paul also says in 1 Corinthians and in Galatians, that he persecuted the church of God and wasted it. How are we to understand what the church of God is? Is it Jew and Gentile, or is it, or is there a difference between the kingdom church and the mystery church? I'm a little bit confused about that terminology. Okay. Well, you ask good questions, and they're, they're large questions, aren't they? They are. I know it. <clears throat> okay. I'll, I'll a- answer this question only partially, and uh, we'll save the rest for uh, another time. But um, we have to understand one thing, or we'll be really confused. Um, And that is that the word church, okay, the word church, the Greek word church, ecclesia, okay, uh, the literal translation of that is assembly, it's a gathering, okay? Mm-hmm. So what is it a gathering of? Well, actually, the the word is used uh, in a context. Um, <laughs> let me just give you the reference just so you know. I mean, we're going to go to Acts 7.38 in a moment, but uh, j- just so you uh, understand uh, that the word really even can be used of uh, gatherings of uh, unbelievers, since the literal Greek word just simply means a, a, a gathering. Okay? okay. So, but to, to give you the verse, so you can see that it's even used of uh, unbelievers. Uh, okay, that that verse reference is um, you can look it up later. But um, well, what is it? Acts chapter. Hmm. 1932, 1939, 1941, okay? This is, these are just uh, town meetings uh, in, uh, in Ephesus, okay? <laughs> these are not groups of believers. In fact, they're idolaters that are, and they're 
concerned about the how Paul is turning the world upside down with his preaching. <clears throat> but then in Acts chapter 7, verse 38, the word church or ecclesia is used of the, the wilderness time of the uh, nation of Israel when they came out of bondage in Egypt uh, through the Red Sea, and uh, then they're wandering in the wilderness, right? And Paul in Acts 7.38 calls that group, those Jewish people in the wilderness, right? Many of whom are not believers, right? Calls that the church in the wilderness, okay? There were believers in the group, I think, in that case, right? Definitely. How about Moses? <laughs> and there were others, right? Okay. And in fact, Acts 7.38 is all about Moses on the mount, right? And how the angels are speaking to him, right? It says he was in the church in the wilderness. Oh, my. Uh, who was in the church in the wilderness? The pre-incarnate Christ. Okay? So the word ecclesia isn't limited to the church, the body of Christ. Church, the body of Christ is the church today. Okay? There were other churches at different times down through history because that's uh, how God worked amongst his people, whether under, under the law. Or, or whether later on under David or the prophets or, or from the day of Pentecost, even before the day of Pentecost, Christ uses the word ecclesia, right, or church. That's just how God is working in his people. Okay. So, Jim, the, the church of God that Paul talks about, the fact that he persecuted and wasted it, we can assume and understand that that would be the kingdom church made up of, of Jewish people only. Is that correct? Well, not Jewish people only because there were Gentile proselytes. Oh, I see. Okay. Yes. Okay. But, but, but that was the kingdom church, not the mystery church, obviously. Well, well, even calling it the kingdom church is a little incorrect. I'd say the pre-kingdom. I mean, you know, the Pentecostal church is what I would call it. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. Well, Jim, thank you very much for taking the time to clarify that for me. I will think about those things. Very good questions today. Okay, we've gone long, so I think we should uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us today. What a blessing to be with believers of like precious faith. Thank you for opening the truth to us again and again. Thank you for your word today. I pray that it will be written on our hearts. pray that we would through rightly dividing the word, comparing scripture with scripture, that the Holy Spirit would be able to instruct us, build us up, and as Paul said to the Ephesian elders, uh, that we might be built up by the word of his grace. And having begun, of course, this uh, uh, new life by believing the gospel of the grace of God, as Paul also said to the Ephesian elders that day. So, Father, thank you again, and... Uh, there's so many blessings that we have. In fact, even every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Thank you again for each one here and all those that listened and all those that will yet listen. And we just uh, pray, Father, that your grace would go forth boldly in these days through us, your children. And we would thank you, Father. 
always in Christ's precious and holy name. And amen.